Also, I'm going to say they talked, they joked about poop too much in this movie, but that's another minor complaint. <laughs> what? I mean, I, t- I talk about poop all the time, so. I felt like Adam Driver talks about it, like, in every single scene that he's in. <laughs> Stephen Miller, not a fan of poop. Not a, not a scat fan. <laughs> not a poop fan. Uh, but are you a fan of nachos? Post-coital. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 309 with a review of What If. I'm Christopher Schnasey. I'm Carson Patrick. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Uh, this week, we're just talking about one of the uh, films that is coming to a theater near us. Uh, you know, we were thinking about doing some theme of doing, you know, this uh, possible sappy romantic comedy type of film mixed with this, like, you know, bros blowing shit up and, you know, just <laughs> stupid, mindless uh, good times. Uh, but it turns out that one of those films <laughs> was awfully terrible. So um, we are just going to be talking about What If, and uh, we'll be getting to whether or not What If was a good film. But uh, how are you guys doing this fine morning? I'm doing well. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. Um... I did not watch The Expendables 3 this weekend, so I feel Steven was my faith smartest. in humanity is still right where it was before the weekend started. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm feeling you, good. Have you seen either of the other two uh, Expendables films? No, I have not. Uh, I heard they were... No, I'm not even going to say it. I was going to say I heard they were Expendables, yeah. but it's uh, uh, too you, obvious. You should, you should have just committed to it. <laughs> yeah, you should have gone for it. No, no. I, I feel like... Probably fifty percent of all reviewers have made that joke when they review these movies. Yeah, yeah. That or they need to put on their dependables. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> well, you did commit to it. I did. Yeah, I'll, give it did yeah. I'll give you that too. <laughs> I went for it. Though you know, watch sitting in the audience watching that film, you also got to put on your dependables because, uh, you know, just you just might pass out and just. Just lose control of your mouth <laughs> and then wake up in a pile of your I own feces. I mean, the feces. movie is so good that you just don't want to move. You just want to shit your pants right there. That's how good mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, well, Carson and I tortured us with this film, so why don't we torture Steven and uh, our listeners. <laughs> By telling him about just, it. Just very quickly, just say a quick little thing. Um, I, I heard it's indefendables. <laughs> I heard it could be uh, deletable, which is a line from the film. Uh, Mel Gibson said, like, yeah, you guys should just call yourselves the deletables. That's oh, right. Good, good one, Mel. <laughs> good, good I, I will say though, like Mel is the only person in this entire film who knows that he's in a shitty movie and is awesome. Yes, like I, exactly. I think, I think that Mel Gibson is legitimately. Uh, I don't. Great's not probably the most accurate word, but like he was the one person that was like, hell yes, Mel Gibson knows what the hell is going on, and this he, is he actually was- fun. He was a solid adversary. There's a scene where he's in the film and he's like, how hard is it to kill 10 people? Watch. And he just pulls out a gun and shoots a random person in the was, room with that him. That was pretty funny. <laughs> that was awesome. Like, and that I think, kind of uh, stuff was awesome. But it also feels like he is, is written by somebody else. It seems like Sylvester Stallone <laughs> like, wrote this movie and Mel Gibson was like, I'll be in it, but I got to write my own lines. <laughs> it did feel that way because this character was so different from the others. I mean, he yeah. felt like he was in such a different movie. Him and Antonio Banderas... Uh, keeping this movie alive 
yeah. in my opinion. Uh, Antonio Banderas is giving the film a much-needed energy boost. and Because uh, it's weird because uh, we talked about – we reviewed The Expendables 2. I, and, I believe uh, so, yeah. We both had a good time with that as far as I remember. I mean, I did. I thought Expendables 2 was like uh, the Lucy of that year. Like I find – I feel like I felt like that you know they had nailed the right tone because the first movie kind of had some tonal problems like I enjoyed it um but uh, it it did you know it didn't live up fully to its potential and the second one sort of succeeded it and you know made it a bigger badder and funnier movie and um I think it completely completely nailed what these movies should be and then this one kind of went back to being like in that sort of too serious not fun enough mode that uh most action movies these days get stuck into and it just was a bore it just was not uh it was getting a little old i mean for sure yeah i mean it, a little it's tired it's not a good film the only thing i really want to say about it is uh you know when we were you know i messaging each other back and forth uh, before we started recording this episode i referenced that there was a uh, i forget what i said like hilariously accidental um brilliance moment in the middle of the film and this part of the film is uh you know it's after mel gibson has arrived and like basically screwed everything up and uh, they're all sitting inside of a bar and sylvester stallone is like look you guys if you guys stick with me i'm gonna drag you down into the shit and all you guys will ever be remembered for is like this shit that we're in right now. <laughs> so you guys need to go leave me, go off and do your own thing so that you guys can have your own careers and, and, Basically. Not, and not just die having the Expendables 3 be the last thing you made. And it's just hilarious how like it like in any any other filmmaker was making this, I would say that this is like a meta commentary on the fact that they're actually making a Expendables 3 film. But it, it's totally not the case because no. a, after he kicks them out, they all come back and join him for the final mission anyways but it, it was just hilarious watching that and just hearing Sylvester Stallone talking about their film careers and their decisions to make three of these expendable films and how like it didn't turn out the way they expected and um, yeah I just thought that that was uh, just a, a great moment of accidental brilliance yeah I mean the movie was not uh, winking you know wink wink enough to uh, pull off that I, I think uh there was another part where I was like, you could kind of associate the same thing where uh, Arnold was waiting for them to get back from their mission. He's like, hurry up. This is boring. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no shit, Arnold. <laughs> He's just standing uh, around. But yeah, yeah, I mean, other than that, I, and the, the movie has some hilariously egregious uh, CGI. I mean, I know I'm complaining about CGI a lot, but it is. It is pretty bad. It's like Olympus has fallen status. Well, nothing will ever be as bad as the After Effects added <laughs> laser sights from the guns in the first film. Right. Which are just or the, the like blood. most atrocious things. I could sit down to an editing program I've never used in my life and figure out how to make those look better than they were in that film. Yeah. But anyways, let's, let's stop torturing everybody and uh, get to our review of What If. Are you guys excited? Yeah. Wow, that was not a good noise <laughs> that came out of my mouth. Steven was so excited that That's he was... excited. He was getting choked up already. Yeah, he was I not just, excited. That's how it excited was just so, he was. So powerful. Yeah. <laughs> it's really a uh, powerful well, what response. If, what if we listen to the trailer for this film? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then come back and give everybody a review.
I just had sex. I'm about to eat nachos. It's the greatest moment of my life. Oh, did you guys meet? Wallace, Hi. this is my cousin Chantry. Thank you for being so gracious in victory. I'm gonna give you my number. We should hang out. Yeah. My boyfriend will be worried about um, what happened to me. So, friends? Yeah, why not? Okay. Friends. Is this always how you make friends? Like it's a business deal? Yeah, actually, mm. it's just my style. Okay, it's quite unnerving, but it's good. <laughs> in fairy tales, love inspires you to be noble and courageous, but in real life, love is just an all-purpose excuse for selfish behavior. I don't know if you are actually cynical or just a super crazy romantic cheese ball. So, Wallace, we should talk about the complex issues of our time. Can men and women really be friends, or do you secretly want to bang Chantry? She has a boyfriend. Ben, Wallace is here. Hi. Thanks for coming by. Are you trying to sleep with my girlfriend? No, God, I wouldn't. Don't worry, we're just, we're just talking guy. Okay. <laughs> You can't interact with a woman without sex screwing it up, but I can because I'm a grown-up. And it's so adorable that you really believe that. Oh, oh my God! Ben? Are you okay? I'm sorry! You look fine! So, this Wallace guy? We're friends. I already called dibs on him. Dahlia, you barely know him. Can I help you? I'd like to try on that dress. It's a size two. Are you a two? Yes. I'm gonna get the measuring tape. I'm a two. Wallace! Yes? I need you to come in here. What? I'm kind of stuck. Are your eyes closed? Yes. Are you okay? I'm not sure about anything. I've been offered a job in Taiwan. I'll be gone soon. It's very easy to be cynical about love until you've had that instant connection. If you're lucky, it happens once in a lifetime. Hundred percent honesty is the foundation of any relationship. Well, you are hundred percent honest with Nicole. Yes, about everything. Yep. What, New Orleans, two thousand and six. What was her name? Uh, Fabia. Yeah, she did look like a woman. To be fair. Ninety-nine percent honesty is the foundation of any relationship. All right, so you just listened to the trailer for What If. Uh, basically, uh, Daniel Radcliffe is, uh, you know, out of a relationship that didn't end too well for him. He gets dragged to a party, and he meets what is, you know, possibly, like, the perfect girl for him. You know, in Walking Her Home, he discovers somehow at the same time he's getting her number that she has a boyfriend. And, uh, you know, he's like, maybe I'll leave this at that. But then he runs into her again, and they become good old friends. But, you know, there's a little problem with them being friends because... You know, she has this boyfriend of five years, but he's happy just being friends, but maybe he's not completely happy just being friends, you know, as as is difficult to be. Um, but uh, yeah, that is basically the setup for this film. And Carson, why don't you let us know if you liked it? Uh, well, yeah, I had a fun time with the movie. I think it's a I think it's a nice little film. Um, it's a nice little ditty. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, it doesn't. 
in terms of romantic comedies, it doesn't, you know, reinvent the wheel uh, in the way that something like 500 Days of the Summer did. But uh, I feel like it, it approaches the genre with enough of a fresh uh, face that uh, it's it's worth uh, checking out for sure. Like, I think that, you know, we were kind of talking uh, about, uh, you know, movies that have we were talking about the movie uh, "What Dreams May Come" before the show, and how it, uh, you know, it's very strikingly uh, striking visually, and uh, it's almost, you know, they took a very standard story and and, and used that as a, you know, uh, use it to convey all this other really awesome stuff. Um, and you know, that's kind of like they kind of like what they did here. They sort of repackaged uh, most of the cliches you would see in this type of movie. And uh, kind of did it with their own spin. I feel like they skirted around them enough that it wasn't, you know, oh, okay, you know, it's the same old, same old. Like, I feel like it, there was enough of a fresh approach to it that, uh, you know, it didn't become old. And plus the the actors in the film, the cast is uh, is really awesome. And they keep the movie, you know, afloat uh when in other places, you know, if it, if they weren't doing their jobs, it could have gotten a little stale. But I think that Daniel Radcliffe is uh, and Zoe Kazan have really great chemistry, and yeah. um, Daniel Radcliffe is a is a he, he's a, he's done well breaking. I think all the Harry Potter actors have done well uh, breaking from their their personas that we what about ron weasley well i mean he hasn't been in much <laughs> he's just in that one movie about the concert venue in new york or whatever. Uh, but i feel like even daniel though, radcliffe uh, the, what's his face the guy who played malfoy who was in uh, rise of the planet of the apes he was still playing malfoy in that movie pretty right. much he, he's still typecast but um... he, he, he was the later years malfoy where he becomes just a little <laughs> pussy instead of being like actually like a sinister little brat now, was dom hall gleason in harry potter or did i just imagine him being I one think, of the Weasley brothers. I think he was, right? Okay. Well, I'm going to have to IMDb this. Possibly. Um, but I feel like Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson have uh, have been able to break away from it pretty well. And I and I think he does a good job as the leading man in this role. Uh, yeah. And, uh, of course, we got, we got our pal Adam Driver in there. Always good to see him in films. <laughs> yeah, Carson's favorite actor. <laughs> I, I love Adam Driver, dude. Like, I, I, any... I, w- I will say he, he's still he's still playing a little bit of, like, uh, kind of weird, Adam. eccentric, sleazy-ish type of dude. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah. I liked him a lot more in this than, like, when I first saw him in Girls. <laughs> he is kind of playing the same character I mean, he's from He's not Girls. the most lovable character in Girls, but yeah, he, he seems to play the same role, like in Francis High. Uh, I feel like he's a except less... Except for Inside Lewin Davis, then he's just the hilarious low voice in, uh, well, dude, he's, in Please, Mr. Kennedy. Dude, he's Lincoln's typist or whatever, I mean, <laughs> come on. Uh, but no, no, I feel like he's he's playing a similar, but he's like a less sleazier role in this movie. But yeah, I think, uh, I think he's great, and then uh, his... Mackenzie Davis, who plays his girlfriend in the movie, um, is also really good. She was in that awkward moment uh, as Miles Teller's like lady friend, and I thought she did a really good job. Like that's the first thing I saw her, and she had like good chemistry with him. Um, So yeah, good cast, and it's a good romance, a good you know fun movie, and I think it uh, it has a lot of heart in it, and. there's a lot of good laughs too. So, uh, Stephen, 
what if you didn't like this movie? Yeah, so I'll, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to invert what I normally do and start with the negatives, mainly because I feel like they are obvious, and I still, regardless of them, enjoyed the movie. So I'll just get the negatives out of the way. Right. Um, this definitely had all the trappings of a standard quirky indie rom-com, like boy meets girl. They have a quick-witted conversation where they're firing jokes back and forth at each other, uh, talking about unconventional things and there's kind of that like that manic pixie dream girl feeling going on um they pick something to bond over in this case it's a piece of food that is gonna come back and have a payoff (laughs) later on Um, right they all sorts of things happen in this movie like a plane trip and frolicking on the beach and a lot of things that when the scene is set up you go like oh yeah i know i know i've seen this before um, and, and in a, sometimes when I wasn't vibing with it, especially with the conversation style between the two leads, it kind of, it, w- it was hard to be a fan of the movie when like a joking conversation is going back and forth and I'm just not feeling it at all. But every time it started to feel overly cliched or like, you know exactly what they're getting at, they were pretty good at like subverting the cliche and making it fresh again. Um, I mean, there were a lot of moments in this movie where there would be a setup where they think I would think like, oh no, they're gonna do this, and then they don't. Like they kind of pull it back or they make a joke. Um, like the overall concept, even of. Uh, so I hate, by the way, that the poster says, "What if friends could have benefits?" Yeah, because it makes it sound like this is a friends with benefits <laughs> <Yeah>. movie <laughs> when it is actually a friend zone movie. Yeah, uh, which handles it in a way that doesn't make the current boyfriend into like a total douchebag and also doesn't reward Daniel Radcliffe for being like underhanded or overly romantic or making the grand gestures. Um, I I think it actually does a pretty good job of keeping all the characters human and really dealing with like the, the pros and cons of different decisions. I mean, there's a, there's a conversation between Radcliffe and Adam driver about like the different options he has for how to proceed in this situation. And I thought that was like completely spot on in the way it described, well, if you do this, then you're pathetic. If you do this, then you're a creep. If you do this, like, yeah. like, like I actually thought the movie had quite a bit to offer. Um, and again, like as much as I could have rolled my eyes over the two lead characters and the friendship that they have, uh, they're just played, like they're acted so well that they have a real real chemistry to them like I, I i could sit back and go oh yeah she's manic pixie dream girl he's quick-witted they make jokes back and forth all the time ha 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 awesome but they actually really sell the two characters um in a way that surprised me like i, I was really going in expecting very little from this movie and in the end i got a solid two hours of entertainment like i i didn't hate myself after it i didn't feel like they sold the character sort short or made them kind of behave there was only one moment in the movie where i thought a character really behaved contrary to their nature uh, for the most part i think they were very fully formed characters who were playing out a uh, a real situation so yeah. yeah i i was a little surprised i thought i was going to be cringing a lot but every time it came close to a cringe they kind of pulled it back and did something clever uh, with the form so pretty happy overall. Chris, what did you think? 
Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun with this movie. Um, I may have been, like, when I went to watch it, I may have been in one of those moods where uh, I am am less likely to pay attention to the the tropes and, like, be upset about them and more just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with it because, you know, what if I didn't care that it was reusing tropes from other things? Um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. And, like, I think, you know, one of the things you mentioned, uh, and I'm just going to, like, reiterate maybe in different uh words but like i i I love that uh um the you know her boyfriend of five years isn't immediately made to be like the worst human being in the world Mm -hmm. and to to really put you in the situation where you're 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 full-on rooting for him to be out of the picture like it's it's um like obviously their introduction is a little bit tension heavy (laughs) and you get like a definitely a weird uh like he immediately starts to be like, oh, okay, he's gonna be one of those guys, like the jealous but, boyfriend. But then all that goes out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally goes out the window. Um, like I, I think I think that scene was played more for just it being like obviously besides the out the window stuff. Like I, I think it was played to be mostly a a a hilarious moment and not supposed to be a big character moment where you get the idea of like, oh, this is going to be the permanent relationship between um, you know Harry Potter and the boyfriend. Um, so like, so for one, I, I celebrate that this film didn't try to do that to where it's like, oh, well, if she were to leave, you know, if she, uh, were to leave this guy, then obviously her life would be a million times better. Um, the, the film doesn't spend a lot of time on that aspect and just spends a lot of time on, you know, their interaction, you seeing them work as a nice, authentic, uh, good coupling match. And then it's, you know, uh, Daniel Radcliffe and Adam Driver just like talking about what they did, what it means, and and how he should proceed from there. Like I like that. I also like that. Uh, you know, Daniel Radcliffe's first inclination when he receives her phone number while finding out that she has a boyfriend is to climb up on his roof and just let the let the number float away because he's like, well there's no point in this so i'm just going it, it, it's not from the beginning where he's like screw this i'm gonna go try to get this girl it's like he's like well why don't i just let this float away and just you know chalk this up to a nice evening talking to somebody that i met and not really worry about this going forward it's just when he happens to run into her again and she kind of offers up this like hey let's make this deal that we're just gonna be friends and blah 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 blah, blah. so it's it's he didn't immediately jump in with both feet it was sort of like nah i'm not gonna bother with this and then he gets sort of roped into it later on. Like, I, I don't know, like the, the the combination of those two things, I think, um, I, I don't know, it makes it makes the whole endeavor a little bit more palatable to me, I guess, just because I'm used to, I'm used to most films where it's like, well, clearly by the end, these two have to get together and uh, the whoever she's with is clearly an evil human being who probably beats her or does something bad. Like there, there's... There's always the story is always told from the standpoint of like he is rescuing her from this situation. Or at the very least, they're going to set up a thing that she loves and then show that the current boyfriend doesn't get that or doesn't understand it. And then they they avoided that here, at least explicitly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, they they do have a lot. They do have a lot of more. you know, like, as you said, like the quick witty humor between each other and like, you know, they, they are a, a on on paper, the way they're written, they are a great match. But you also get plenty of scenes where you can tell that um, she is in love with the boyfriend, that like it's not mm-hmm. like she spends every day wanting to be out of that relationship. 
it's like yeah. you can tell that there is a genuine connection that those two and, have. And he he's a genuinely good guy. Like they they have a couple scenes that exist only to show him putting her first and being romantic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's like I, I kind of wish that there wasn't the work travel aspect of the film. Like I think mm-hmm. that's the only um that's the only aspect that seemed uh that that seemed like it added some sort of weight to like how like when when one group is in a, a long distance relationship, which can be stressful, and the other the person who is interfering theoretically with that relationship is present and around all the time, that that's pretty convenient as far as like allowing um, you know whoever is in the actual relationship to question whether that's the best like uh, mm-hmm. thing for them. So I kind of wish that somehow this film could do without that, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's that's like I don't I don't have a fully formed thought on that. I just I just remember thinking that like oh it's convenient like everybody has these have everybody has jobs or job opportunities that would allow them to travel, which would separate them with distance from everyone else in the film. Um, but mm-hmm. besides and that, and I should say that that's also a trope is that these people are like in their twenties and they're all like ridiculously successful <laughs> right yeah, exactly like, like you know you know you can even see like again they live in new york and the apartments are just ridiculous like well no... they're actually in toronto in this yeah, yeah, yeah oh yeah you're right toronto i take it all back i assume places are cheap in toronto <laughs> everything i just said but i take it back it this had, does not have the trope anymore it had that new york feel though it had that yeah, feel yeah. of of i know what you mean like i where most comedy or most of these romantic comedies that are set uh, either in New York City or L.A., um, they all have, like, super awesome jobs. And, uh, yeah, like like Zoe Kazan's job in this movie where she's, like, the, <laughs> the animator or whatever. I, um, I, I just think they really, like, they wanted it to be somewhere in, in not the U.S. So it, it would make sense why everybody was from a different country. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and why everyone seemed happy and to have property and decent <laughs> jobs and stuff everyone was very nice because they're all, all in canada <laughs> free health care but so i think one one thing that i'm curious about and we, we don't need to dig too deep here but have either of you been in situations like this before <laughs> um, uh no because uh, i uh historically speaking i have been the king of the friend zone awkward situation um in my life oh yeah. friends so, yeah friend zone yeah. yeah yeah i thought you were talking about have i ever like met a girl who was an animator and <laughs> no. she had a, she had a job potentially in taiwan and no, like I, got, I flew to ireland to you gotta abstract away a little bit of that <laughs> yeah, yeah um anyway coming from someone for whom this historically was a fairly frequent occurrence in my life uh, I was pretty happy with how they handled it. Uh, I mean, they did, of course, they did have the cop out, as Chris mentions, of there's the long distance aspect and other other reasons that it might it might play to Daniel Radcliffe's favor. But for the most part, I think the way they uh, the way they painted the dynamic and how he genuinely is trying to be a good guy and is unsure of how to proceed, I I was pretty happy with that. Yeah, I, I actually feel like it must be a trope. There's no way this is new, but I can't think of another movie that tackled it well. Maybe, like, TV shows talk about this kind of thing. I can't come up with a romantic comedy that had this premise before. Of this type of uh, friend zone premise? Sort of. Of the of the not knowing how to maintain a friendship and not being sure what to do with it yeah. premise. 
Well, I mean, they they tackled that in like Friends with Benefits, but probably not as well. I get, I guess so. Yeah, not. I mean, th- that movie wasn't as uh, wasn't as strong as this one. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I think historically I've been in similar situations like that. I mean, not to the extent of of you know like as carson said like oh i went to a party and met this person oh they have a boyfriend and oh and suddenly we're like all best friends and stuff like that but i mean um yeah I, I i do think that everything in the film definitely felt you know with the few things that i've said felt you know on the it aired on the side of being authentic and i and i love that it's not just it's i think for the most part like Daniel Radcliffe has sort of resigned himself to be in this situation. It's really through the conversations with, uh, he, you know, Adam and and his girlfriend, like like hearing them, basically them telling, like putting the ideas in his head that he can expand beyond where he is. And obviously, that's always on the forefront of his mind of being like wanting to be there. But uh, um, I think. I don't know. Like, I think I think they handle it well because it's sort of like he lets people influence his intentions um, to a point that which like he wasn't sort of going to go there on his own. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, I also yeah. one thing that I, one one trope they avoided that I actually really liked was, um, you know, there's there's a, you know, the uh, you know his uh, Daniel Radcliffe's love interest um, has a sister who is like in her own situation where she's looking for a dude. And they really, there was very many opportunities in the film to which, uh, you know, Daniel Radcliffe could strike up a relationship with, you know, the sister. And then there'd be this weird dynamic of like the girl he wants being upset that he's with her sister. And then this, like, like there's a bunch of fighting that can be there. And, you know, they, they dip their toes into those avenues as far as like, like having the situations present, but they don't go to where any other film would go to, where there's like big fights, where everybody's all upset over. Um, like you see characters reacting in a way in which they're like, oh, I'm not sure how much I'm excited about this happening, but like yeah. none of that stuff actually plays into the plot, and it's not focused and, on. And same, same with the like the other trope they could have easily done is uh, there's an ex in this movie who clearly set the stage for his heartbreak yeah and i feel like a common trope would have him get back with her at some point in a moment of weakness right Uh, and again i hopefully it's not a spoiler to say they don't follow this trope um (laughs) they do do a pretty good job i feel like his character in particular very rarely goes against what i believe his character would do like it, it seems pretty authentic to how a a relatively good guy who is occasionally overly enthusiastic about things, but is trying to do the right thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, would behave. I will say too, like the moment where, like the the two two minute scene where we kind of uh, get the basically where we meet the ex. Um, I thought that scene was awesome. <laughs> like it was so painful, yet like sort of funny at the same time. Um, and it, it it was it was it was amazing the way it plays out too, because it's so subtly like. Like, you would expect more of a, a, like, any other film would have, like, this big kind of blow-up moment where everybody's sort of, like, very vocal about, like, very, very forward holding their themes. And, like, in, in, in this scene, it's, like, everybody involved in it is sort of just very kind of confused and not sure what to say. And, like, everything everyone says is just, like, the, <laughs> the least <laughs> uh, correct way you would want to handle that situation. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was painfully hilarious. 
I will say the only things that were a bit painful to me are there are a couple, actually literally a couple, there are two moments in the film where they try to hint at the romantic spark very explicitly between the two friends in like the tension. Uh, and both of those moments felt way too contrived <laughs> to, uh, in my mind. Um, Is there a way you could yeah. hint at it without giving away the scene? Um, it involves them being close together in a way that would be romantic <laughs> normally. Um, All right. In particular, her reactions in both of these scenarios felt like a little too naive or too contrived to me. Okay. Uh, but but I quickly forgave them because both of these were typically followed by like a pretty good joke or pretty funny conversation that would happen afterwards. Uh, so even even when it falls into these kind of unbelievable premises they do a good job of pulling back and having it be the characters first in the end yeah yeah so i just go ahead oh i just wanted to say that uh i was also gonna uh, or i'm agreeing with you now because you said it first chris that the sister character was something that uh really could have gone south but they managed to do something different from what i was expecting to or what you'd normally expect in a movie like this yeah um especially the scene where they're on the beach um and i feel like that scene starts off the way you think it's going to and then it turns a completely different way you're talking about when the two two sisters are on the beach the two yeah the two sisters on the beach it's like right after she tried to make a move on on (laughs) d-rad uh but yeah so that was a good scene also there are three things that I was going to say. One, um, Domhnall Gleeson was definitely in Harry Potter. Okay. <laughs> he was in uh, Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2 as Bill Weasley. Mm-hmm. And also, this movie was originally called The F Word, um, which I think is a much better Friends. title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Because what if doesn't really, yeah. And also, Michael Dowes, who directed this movie, is Canadian. So I think that... That probably answers. Yeah, this is definitely a Canadian film. I think it won, like, some sort of Canadian screenplay award or something like that. Yeah, and he also directed that movie Goon, which I thought was really good. Um, Hmm. Wait, he directed another Canadian film about hockey? No. No way. Canadian people don't care about hockey. (laughs) (laughs) No, ridiculous. Uh, So, yeah, there you go. Was that two things or was that the three things? That was the third thing, was that... The director is Canadian, so I guess that makes sense as to why it's set in Toronto. Oh, okay. So I I have to say, uh, the movie, so it tries a few times to have a sort of art direction of like a little bit of fantasy intermingling with the real world. Yeah. Um, And in, in general, those moments, they didn't really bother me, but they also kind of felt out of place. That, that was one situation where I felt like it was trying to put on the guise of another comedy yeah, or yeah. Another, another movie and not really having a big payoff. Yeah, it was just trying uh, to go for that, like, Andy feel. Like, in, in 500 Days of Summer, when there's, like, the big dance moment, he's, like, catching the bird on his finger and singing yeah. and stuff. Like, that works brilliantly in that. But in this, it definitely felt like, oh, it's trying to be that um, that type of indie movie kind of, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, cleverness. Um, but, yeah, there's no, there's no real... Uh, payoff to to where it goes especially with like the first scene is like him like letting go of the phone number which is scribbled on the back of a little thing she sketched out and then that thing 
comes to life and blah, 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 blah. And I, I guess, like, you could kind of make the argument that, like, well, she is an animator and she does put her mother into um, the design she does with these animations that she works. So mm-hmm. if she is, like, if she is seeing this as a visualization of her mother's interpretation of the thing she's going through, then maybe you could kind of stretch it to make the argument that, like, it belongs there, but... Yeah, it's part, a little. No. That, that's a little too cutesy for me. <laughs> that that I think is something that they didn't devote. They weren't willing to devote more than like forty-five seconds to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the conversations, so I don't feel like they earn the ability to use it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it it's a minor complaint. So th- there was one mo- one more moment I was going to talk about that like I really like that kind of in a way subverted. Uh, subverted a little bit of tropiness, but in a way that I thought was pretty authentic. Um, the toast that Daniel Radcliffe gives at, um, at the, you know, his buddy's wedding is, it's very much a it's, a, it's like a toast, but it's also like a confession of his own that he is like too scared yeah. to actually say himself, but he kind of says it through this toast. And in a normal mm. film, that would have actually acted as a confession. Like there would be, like she would completely realize what he was saying. He would be like, fully saying it on purpose that way and then there would be a big scene where they talk and blah 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 blah. and in this film there is a little bit of knowing in her like it cuts to her at one point and like she's kind of thinking about the words he's saying and he's kind of like looking back at her but then he goes back to looking at everybody else and there is a, like i felt it very authentic that like they're the words that he would like to say but can't because of the context of the situation so he says them during this toast in a way um but then the film doesn't ever have a moment where the two of them talk about the words that he spoke. It's really just like that was sort of like a him being able to get it off his chest. But then nothing mm-hmm. really comes about because of that moment. Um, what did you guys think of that scene? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was happy with it. It did. It still focuses on her reactions maybe a little bit more than I if it were really completely avoiding that trope. I feel like it wouldn't keep panning to her and seeing how she responds to what he's saying yeah but i'm definitely i was glad that they didn't as with most of these tropes they didn't really go the direction that it was leading you to believe um, yeah in the film well i I think also there there's like the the, one of the parts i like about it is when it cuts back to her um like you it's never like completely close up on her face it's always her and her sister standing side by side and she has sort of that that like like wait a second is he saying more than he's saying but then right next to her is the sister who's like super like turned on and undressing him with her with her eyes because she's like oh my god this guy's like so romantic i love him so much um (laughs) and like because they weren't playing much in that sister i don't know it's just interesting juxtaposition where like the words are being you know like everybody else is like oh that's a great speech for these people who are getting married the girl who's who's actually speaking the feelings of is sort of responding like wait a second is he talking about them or is he talking about us? And then the sister just like, oh my God, that romantic sounding stuff. I'm at a wedding. This is awesome. Like, <laughs> she's like ready to, to jump on him. Um, I, um, I will say though, it's only my second favorite of the wedding speeches because I loved the, the one before, which ends with, and that's why I learned a lot about Romanian tax law. Oh, yeah. And I also learned about friendship. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Other thing, and this is, it's going to be really hard to say this without being spoilery, so I'll just say I kind of wish the ending had left more to the imagination. Um, 
I'm someone who didn't really need the epilogue way that they handled it, but it's okay. It's a, it's a fun movie, and I think most people probably would have wanted to see, see the ending play out. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm maybe in the minority where I would have preferred to not not have it all spelled out. I think, yeah, I think the the ending ending is just sort of there as a way to like. I don't know, laid doubt in the viewer's mind. I don't, I don't know why. Hmm. I don't know why it's handled like that. But uh, yeah, I, it, it's okay. I mean, I, I, th- I had I think it pointed it out. My my girlfriend actually mentioned that if they had ended it more suddenly or up in the air, that at this point would have been the trope that has been done over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've looped back around. We're now actually giving us the full ending is the subversion of the cliche. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No no save the date style ending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I'm I'm fine with them, you know, going through with it cuz like I yeah. I, think, I really yeah. I do not care about fool's gold by the way. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like the whole movie could have been just fine if they didn't introduce this. So the movie didn't make you hungry. You didn't ma- make you hungry for some, some, you know. No, that that very to me healthy just felt sandwich. Like they need the thing, the weird thing no one else will get that is a reference to them. Uh, I don't know that minor complaint. But I was fine with it. I did not feel the huge payoff. Well, I mean, I mean, fool's gold. I, I don't just i'm fool's gold is you know no blue french horn or anything like that but Mm -hmm. it's eh, you know it could be maybe i wasn't paying enough attention when they first talk about it so it it didn't feel like a significant thing about them having met well it, it was it was one of the first random conversations they had when they first met and it's it's a continuing thread of them trying to figure out what it is and yeah it has significance only in that, like, it's uh, it, it's a thing to call back to that is insignificant enough to not be significant, yet significant enough to be like, oh, if you brought back that insignificant thing, it has a lot of meaning. Like, I thought it was, it was a little bit silly, but I thought it was sweet. Mm-hmm. But maybe not. I'll, I'll let go of the fool's gold. At least they didn't go with some cliche of, like, it looks like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. It's fool's gold. <laughs> they could have done. They could have done worse. <laughs> Good also, I'm gonna say they talked. They joked about poop too much in this movie. But that's another minor complaint. <laughs> I, fe- I felt like the. I felt like the dialogue of the characters veered into. It was like because it's PG-13, so they can't be like much more vulgar than that. Um, I mean, I, t- I talk about poop all the time, so I felt like Adam Driver talks about it, like in every single scene that he's in. Yeah, <laughs> but but it's okay. Stephen Miller, not a fan of poop. Not a not a scat fan. Not a poop fan. Uh, but are you a fan of nachos post coital? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm a fan regardless of coital. <laughs> I had nachos sound great right now. I mean, <laughs> I just had sex and I'm about to eat nachos. <laughs> <laughs> that scene is so weird. I couldn't help but think like Carson's got to love the shit out of this scene. <laughs> I, I it was in the trailer too. I thought it was. Thought yeah, it was but they don't go as far but, as to show like the banana and the metaphor. No, that he no, no. That, that was a, that, that was a good scene though. 
<laughs> I, I, I liked it. That that was definitely more like a uh, an Adam Sackler from Girls type of moment. Mm-hmm. Although probably not uh, not as weird enough. I think you would have to do something extra with the banana or something. <laughs> oh jeez. Okay. He would he would have to talk about like ejaculate or something. I don't know. I think they'd have that, to take uh, it the extra they'd have to take it the extra mile. I, I think that if we were one of those podcasts that usually, you know, titles our episodes based on a random quote from the episode, that postcoital oh. nachos would have to be the title of this episode. Totally, dude. Yeah. I thought Probably. you were gonna say if we titled our podcast like Michael Giacchino titles is film tracks, <laughs> score tracks. Then yeah. Then what what would be the pun you'd come up with? We would have to we'd have to come up with some kind of pun. Like what if I don't I don't even know. I'm not even gonna go I'm not even gonna go gonna go there. No. I was wondering how long it would be before you bailed out of that one. <laughs> yeah, you you held on longer than I expected. Uh. <laughs> should we should we jump to our reviews or do we wanna uh, Yeah, I think we're done. Meander longer. I think we should just get to uh our verdicts for this episode. So Carson, why don't you start us off? If you were going to give this a must-see, a recommend with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Um, I would definitely give it a recommend. Uh, caveat being, I guess if you don't like poop jokes and fool's gold, <laughs> you will not like this movie. Um, but no, I, I think it's a... I think, I think most people would dig it. Um, yeah, and then like we said, it... It subverts enough of the cliches and approaches it with enough of a freshness that uh, it, it stands apart from from a movie like Fool's Gold with Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson, which is <laughs> not a good romantic comedy. So definitely this is on the uh, upper echelon of romantic <laughs> of comedies. Fool's Gold related films. Of Fool's, <laughs> Fool's Gold, Gold related. related exactly. Movies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I I would say at the start of the movie, it was in wait for rental territory for me. And after the first half hour, it became like recommendy with a caveat. By the end, I'd say it's a pretty strong recommend with a caveat for me. Um, I think they do they do set up a lot of the tropes, like all the characters. You could kind of point to them as being a stock character in a romantic comedy, but they do a great job of making them alive and uh subverting all the cliches that you think they're going to go for yeah uh, and in the end yeah i i think the caveat is if you are overly cynical going into the movie i don't know that it's going to win you over like you still are going to see trope one trope two trope three uh, but if you're willing to kind of give it a shot i think it does have a lot to offer yeah uh this is a huge recommend for me too i mean it's not a perfect film it's not one of those ones where like i would hand my copy of it to somebody and tell them they must watch it like i would with like a 500 days of summer um but i had a great time with it and like i said at the beginning of this uh, uh beginning of the review that it might have been that i happened to be in like the perfect mood to be able to watch a movie like this and and really love it but uh either way i had a great time with it and as you guys both said you know it doesn't go to all the the, the normal places that it would um it definitely has a lot of uh, influence from other types of films in this genre, but it, it feels like it, you know, it does something that, uh, while predictable, doesn't seem, um, 
doesn't seem governed by the films that had come before it. Like it, it, it feels like it stands a little bit on its own. And uh, you know, I had a great time watching it. So, what more can you ask from a film like this? I think this is the second review in a row that has ended on what more can you ask from a film? (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure we said it about Calvary in provoking conversation. (laughs) Well, anyway, what if all of our reviews from now on end that way? (laughs) Uh, It could be. It's a big what if, though. The Expendables was terrible. And what more can you ask? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, better than you could ask them not make a four. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah so Carson if people want to find you throughout the week where is it that they may do that uh, you can find me on uh, practicalcandy.wordpress.com Stephen you can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com people can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl you can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show if you want to know when all these episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com. You can leave a, uh, or you can send us feedback in our little feedback form thingamajigger over at thespoilerwarning.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW. That's 760-575-4879. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to What If... So, um, so what if oh, there's which, no soundtrack? Which reminds me, by the way, uh, music was done by AC Newman of the New Pornographers, and as far as like kind of cliche sounding indie movie soundtrack goes, I thought it was pretty nice. <laughs> right. I had to, had to throw that in. I forgot I enjoyed the soundtrack to this movie. Okay. And now maybe it's playing in the edited version while I say this. Yes, probably. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. And you're going to play one that isn't good, and then I'm <laughs> just going to sound like an idiot. <laughs> well, well, since you enjoy uh, enjoyed it, Stephen, if you want to like, you know, pop on Spotify or something and and uh, find a track that you think is is you know worthy of the ending of this episode, then maybe I will I will pick the music for this episode. All right, so it. listeners, if this song sucks, it was not my mm-hmm. fault. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well uh, That is this review Thank you guys for joining me Yes, thank you for having me You are welcome <laughs> <laughs> And thank you guys all for listening um, We will catch you uh, Next time Later See ya